You're listening to audio from Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus to impact the world. If you'd like to find out more information about us or donate to our ministry, please visit us at our website at cccfishers.org. Thanks for joining us. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he he regained his strength. Christ has risen. This, as we have said, is the central claim of our faith. And this is the day in which we gather together to give witness to the wonder of the empty tomb, which feels, I don't know about you, but it feels especially poignant this year. Last year, on this day, this room was empty. 
All of us were home, and we were worshiping together online, but while that didn't change any of the facts about the resurrection, it felt more like Good Friday than it did Easter, at least it did for me. And while we're not back to normal, and while we're all not back completely gathered, and while there are still masks on our faces, there's something new this year. There's life that seems to be coming back. Later today, my family and I are going to get into our car, and we're going to drive north, and we're going to be with family for Easter dinner this evening in a way that we haven't been together in over a year. Something that was lost is now being recovered. A semblance of life as we used to know it and remember it. It's coming back. And so this Easter, maybe, maybe it's just me, but maybe you too. Maybe I, I feel resurrection in a new way. It feels like that thing that had died, this life that we used to have is coming back. And it's good and it's wonderful. And it's good that it feels connected to the resurrection in a new and especially important way this year. I think too often it is, I think too often resurrection is something that we don't know what to do with it. It's easy for us to take the idea of resurrection and then apply it to life after death, to to the hope of eternal life, to the new body that we get. When we think about it in in that sense, life after death, resurrection makes sense and it's easy for us to apply. But but what does resurrection do for us right now? What does the resurrection have to offer those of us who live in the land of the living beyond simply hope for later? And that's why I find the story of Saul such a, such a wonderful Easter story. Because Saul's story is an embodiment of the gospel and a witness to the resurrection. And think about Saul's life. Saul was a zealous Pharisee. He was committed to the Torah. And because of his commitment to the Torah and to God and to righteousness, he began to persecute the church. He didn't do it because he was an especially evil man. He did it because he thought he was being especially good. In Acts chapter 8, we're told that Saul was one of the people who oversaw the death of Stephen. And it's very likely that he was one of the people who uh, encouraged or even was involved in the going from house to house in Jerusalem to arrest those who were followers of Jesus. And then we're told here in chapter 9 that so zealous was Paul for the keeping of the Torah and for the holding on to the way things were that he petitioned the chief priest to have a letter that would give him the authority to go to Damascus, to travel 130 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem in order to find the followers of Jesus who were living there to imprison them and then to take them back to Jerusalem for trial. This is how committed Paul or Saul was to his faith, to the Lord, to the pursuit of righteousness and the protection of the Lord's name. And so he goes with the full authority of the chief priests. And then once again, Luke takes us to the road. If you remember last week, we talked about the symbolism of the road. The road is a place that is no place. It's, it's a symbolic 
space for journey, a necessary place for us to go as we journey from one spot to another spot, from one position to another position, from one place to another place. It is a necessary space for change and for growth. And so Luke takes us to the road, and it's on the road that Saul falls into the confusion that comes with change and newness. Saul is blinded by a light, falls to the ground. And as he's there on the ground trying to catch his bearings and figure out what is going on, a voice calls out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We know that that voice that is speaking to Saul is Jesus. There's something in that that you and I ought to take note of. As Jesus says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? In a very intimate way, Jesus has wed himself to his followers. It isn't Jesus and us separated, but now we come together in a unique way. What is done to the disciples is done to Jesus. To persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. These words of Jesus are another affirmation that the resurrected Christ who is seated at the right hand of God the Father has not abandoned us, but is intimately with us. What you are going through, the difficulties that you face, the pressures that are exerted upon you by this world to bend and to twist your faith into something more palatable is not just done to you. It is not a burden that you alone have to bear for what is done to you, follower of Jesus, is done to Christ. He is with us. And his resurrection assures us of that. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What is done to Jesus, or what is done to us, is done to Jesus. Saul hears those words, and it disorients him. He is a man who has devoted himself to serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has immersed himself in the study of the scriptures. And yet, for all of his knowledge, for all of his commitment, and all of his faith in this moment, he does not know who he is speaking with. But even though he does not know the one who has spoken, he recognizes that this person has interrupted his journey and has now made the place where he is kneeling on, his, on the ground holy. This intuition cements within Saul, or is cemented when Saul learns that the one who has blinded him is Jesus, the very one who he has discounted as the Messiah. In the moment that Jesus reveals himself to Saul, it is I, Jesus. Jesus is now not only connecting himself to us, his followers, but is now connecting himself to God, the Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in Saul's mind, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is no longer this disembodied keeper of the covenant, but is now the incarnate servant who has gone to the cross. Saul has not heard a voice from the cloud. Saul has not heard a voice from a burning bush. Saul has not heard the rumble of thunder. Instead, Saul has heard the voice of the God who took on flesh and was crucified. Ah, 
And this provides something unique for him. Because up until this point, Saul has heard about Jesus. He's heard about the itinerant uh, teacher up in the Galilee region who traveled around with a small group of disciples, taught as if he had authority. He heard about this man who supposedly did some miracles here and there. He heard about this man's arrest and this crucifixion in Jerusalem. He heard to be what he assumed rumors about this man's resurrection, but how in the world could that ever really happen And then he heard that Jesus' disciples were going around and saying that in the person of Jesus, God's Messiah had fully come and the covenant with Israel was now fulfilled and the salvation for the whole world was coming because of Jesus. And so Saul could not stand for that and he takes action by actively seeking to strike down this movement. But on the road, when Saul is introduced to Jesus, who is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He experienced Christ before he had heard. Now he knew. And Saul falls down and is blinded. After his experience with Jesus, he does not eat or drink for three days. He's plunged into darkness. It's as if Saul died. And then three days later, a man comes and lays hands on Saul and something like scales fall from his eyes. Light pierces his reality. He sees, he eats, he rises. (laughs) Saul died. Paul rises. Saul experienced the resurrection of Jesus in a unique and profound and intimate way. Is it any wonder then that Paul writes to the Corinthians and said, if the resurrection does not happen, then we should, if it didn't happen, then we should be pitied above all men. This reality for Paul became central for him. And so his letters are, are just filled with this kind of language about the importance of the resurrection and the meaning that the resurrection has for our lived lives. Yes, it matters for later, for de- after death, but for Paul, it changed everything about right now. And so Paul says, we must take off our old selves and put on the new selves. We've got to crucify ourselves with Christ. It is no longer us who lives, but it is Christ who lives in us. These are not theological abstractions for Paul. These are ideas birthed from his experience. He knows intimately what it's like to die and then to rise with Christ. Um, that's what happened on the road to Damascus. It wasn't some, some, uh, some magical experience. It wasn't so, some, some uh, abstract philosophical idea that overcame him. No, on the road Saul died. And he rose in Christ. He experienced the resurrection in this life. It mattered for him right in that moment and changed everything that would follow. And what he writes again and again throughout his epistles is that it matters for you and for me as well. We can have that kind of experience with the resurrected Christ. We can have our lives upended. We can know resurrection, newness, here and now. 
And just as the resurrection disrupts the life of Paul, so it can and will disrupt every single one of our lives. I just want to take a minute and I want to look at the two two named characters in this story and how the gospel interrupted and disrupted their life. Now, the first one we've already looked at quite a bit, Saul. On the road to Damascus, he is taken captive. Or let me say it like this. On the road to Damascus, as Saul seeks to take the followers of Jesus captive, Saul is taken captive by Jesus. He goes from someone who can convince the high priest that it is prudent and good to go and to imprison the followers of Jesus to one who is imprisoned by his blindness and needs to be led by the hands. He goes from one who is sure of what the next right step is to having to sit and to wait and to be told what he will do next. He goes from someone who is important and on the in and of the right pedigree to being someone who is on the outside, who calls himself a servant for the rest of his life, who knows hardship and pain. His experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus disrupted and forever changed his life. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And then we have Ananias. This is a man who already knew Jesus. And then Jesus comes to him in a dream and says, Ananias, I need you to go to Judas' house on on Straight Street. And there you're going to find a man named Saul. Now just stop here for a moment. Remind yourself, where was Saul going? To Damascus. And what was he going to do in Damascus? Imprison the followers of Jesus. Who is Ananias? A follower of Jesus who lives in Damascus. Saul was on his way to imprison this very man. And God comes to him and says, I need you to go to him. Now Ananias had heard of Saul's plot. So he's a a little unsure about what he's being asked to do. Are you sure, Lord? Because I've heard of this guy. And I don't think that would be the wisest life choice for me at this moment. But God reassures him and says, not only is it safe, but I have bigger intentions for Saul's life. And so Ananias goes. And from that point, he plays a very small role in the text. But I have to imagine that Ananias plays a rather large role in the life of the church. 
here's what I mean by that. If you were a follower of Jesus living either in Damascus or Jerusalem or anywhere in Israel, and you had heard of this man named Saul who was hunting down and persecuting Christians, but now you were hearing rumors that this man was in fact a follower of Jesus, would you wholeheartedly, immediately accept that as true? Might you be a little bit skeptical? My guess is you would be a little bit uh, a little bit skeptical and suspicious. I was like combining those two words; they were both in my head at the same time. And my guess is you would just have some doubts. You would want to be convinced. And what would you need, or maybe better yet, what would help you? Be convinced that this rumor was in fact true, that this one who had persecuted the church was now a part of it. How far would an eyewitness account go? My guess is it would go a long way if it was coming from someone who was a fellow follower of Jesus and who had been there themselves, had seen the scales fall off, had heard the words of Saul. And so Ananias plays an incredibly important, he has to, in my mind. Again, it doesn't say this in the text, it's completely conjecture, but in my mind, he has to play an incredible, incredibly important role in the life of the church because just as Saul is now a witness to the resurrection, so now Ananias is a witness to the resurrection's impact on Saul. Saul. Yeah. I mean, what what we see here in this little interaction between Ananias and then what we can, I think, rightly imagine would happen later down the road really is the overview of the book of Acts. Over and over again throughout the book, we see God dramatically disorienting people's understanding about who Jesus is, about who God is, about the kingdom of God. Right? It starts out that the disciples are still convinced that the kingdom of God is this earthly geopolitical movement. And God shifts and reorients that. And then the gospel goes to the Samaritans. And, and then the Ethiopian eunuch responds to the gospel. And, 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 then, and then now we have the very enemies of Jesus. Unapologetic, zealous enemies of Jesus encountering the gospel. And being changed over and over again, we see the consistent, dramatic reorientation of people throughout the book of Acts. You see, the resurrection of Jesus forces us to reassess what's possible. The resurrection means that we need to be open to new possibilities and new dreams. The resurrection upends our old ways of looking at people and understanding the world and thinking about traditions and customs. The experiencing the resurrection and, and the drama of the resurrection disrupts not just our individual lives, but it, in, it disrupts everything around us. It makes us look at the world with new eyes. We are like Paul after we've experienced the resurrection. Scales fall off and what we were blind to before, the possibilities, the newness, the way things are, like all of those things, the scales fall off and we see new. 
And for those moments in which we are of difficulty seeing, God gives us the grace of people like Ananias, witnesses who help us have those scales removed. I think each and every one of us has some sort of Ananias-like story, someone who has come alongside and help us to see the world differently and new. I, I think I've shared this story at least once, maybe multiple times. But soon after, it, it, was, it's, it, it bears repeating, or I just say that. But soon after Sarah and I started dating, things were going really well. Like, we were getting along, and it was fun, and we really enjoyed one another, and we mixed really well. So I did the most reasonable thing I could do at that point. I tried to break up with her. It didn't go well. Hint. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I had just come out of an engagement that, was, that we had broken off, and in the course of that engagement had just internalized a lot of bad ideas about relationships and bad habits and unhealthy dynamics and sort of made those to be what was normal. And so there was a part of me that thought like I was broken or that, 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 that there was something wrong with me or that I had to get all fixed up before I could enter into this relationship that was seemingly to go so well. And so I thought I was doing the right thing, and I called Sarah up and did it over the phone because that's mature. Um, and, and, and just said, hey, I'm a little bit freaked out here. And she just, and I said, I think, I think, we, should, I think we should end this. And to which she said, no, no, we're not going to do that. And she called me out in that phone conversation about my brokenness. She named it. She named the wounding. And she painted a picture for me of the possibility of what a relationship, a healthy relationship, a good relationship could look like. She helped me believe that things could be different. She was my Ananias. Can you think of an Ananias in your life? Someone who's helped you see. See the world through different eyes. Someone who's helped you see God differently and understand God. Someone who's helped you make sense of your relationship with Jesus. Or, or Jesus, just relationship with you and how much Jesus loves and adores you. And what it means to be God's beloved. Has anyone come alongside of you and helped you be confident in who God made you to be and your gifts and your aptitudes and attitudes and the ways in which they can serve the world? Because this is what we as Christians are to be. We are to be Ananias. We are to be witnesses. This is what is... The followers of Jesus are called throughout the book of Acts. We are called witnesses. And we are to witness to the resurrection and to the hope that we have in the salvation of the world through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so we witness and we confess and we proclaim what it is that we believe over and over again. We believe that the cross was the pivotal point in human history in which the God of the universe took on flesh and then took upon himself the consequences of sin so that you and I might be free. We believe that through this act, God offers salvation to all who would come to him. And then we believe that after the cross, 
after the death of Christ, he was placed into a tomb for three days. And then on the third day, he rose again. And in that moment, death lost its permanence. The one thing that every human being could count on. The inevitable end that would come to all of us. And the fear that that brings now. Now its sting is gone. We are no longer gripped by fear. Because what humanity had come to accept as the way it was always going to be is no longer the way that it's always going to be. Resurrection is possible. And so if death can lose its grip on us, what else can lose its grip on us? This is what we give hope to. This is what we give voice to. This is what we proclaim. Resurrection is possible. New life begins now. The old order of things has been disrupted and the possibility of seeing everything and everyone in new ways is here. Just as God took hold of Saul on the road to Damascus so he can take hold of you and me in an instant. Even if you've been coming to church your whole life, Even if you've been coming to church your whole life, even if you know the scriptures forwards and backwards, even if you've got great doctrine and theology, God can still take hold of your life as he took hold of Saul's and in an instant disrupts you with an experience that leaves you vulnerable to the possibility of God doing a new thing in your life. Just as God redirected Ananias, God could enlarge your mind about who God is and who God loves. And so on this Easter, on this Easter, let us be open. Let's wonder together. What if God wants to surprise and disrupt us as we adopt new eyes to see what's possible? And that possibility can range from a new vocation to completely reorienting our understanding of who God is. It can be new eyes to see a difficult relationship and new ways of parenting. It can be new desires that we have for our life and what it means to, be the good, to live the good life. And it can be new habits about how we spend our time and our money and our energy. I have no idea how God wants to interrupt and disrupt your life. I just simply know that it's likely to happen. Resurrection. Life rising from what is dead. That's what's happened. That's what's possible. So let's be ready for it. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that the cross was not the end of the story. And we give you thanks that the tomb is empty. 
that means that one of the most basic assumptions we have about how the world works and how our lives will go, <laughs> that most basic assumption is not true. Death is not the inevitable end. Death is not the constant. Life is. Newness is. May we be open to the possibility that there are things in our life that are dead and that you want to bring new life to them. May we be open to that possibility. May the scales fall from our eyes so we may see. May we be nourished so that we may have strength to rise and to walk into a new reality. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.